0: Welcome to the 29th episode of the Nerdum and Other Nonsense Anime Podcast. Today we are going over the summer 2017 season's 11th week of shows. Just as a reminder though, we also always include timestamps in the description of the YouTube video and podcast feed if you wish to only hear about one or two specific shows. Because yeah, this is a straight up spoilers podcast so you just gotta get used to it. But my name is Leo and I finally finished Recreators and Sota is now my favorite anime character of all time. Also with me is becom and that is not true at all.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, for some reason, Leo, I don't believe that you came
0: around on SOTA.
1: <laughs> also, I don't believe that you finished Recreators. Also, I made you say that.
0: <laughs> yes. The moment we stopped reviewing that show, I never looked back at it. <laughs>
1: well, I actually went and finished it off yesterday. And let me tell you, they don't have any self-awareness about how shitty of a character they made SOTA. Like, they really don't. And, like, the way that they finish off that show is by him recreating a much better character who then fixes all of their problems. Uh, And then Sota just doesn't redeem himself at all. He's just basically like, I finally caught up to you. He's just so obsessed with having caught up to the friend who he, like, treated like shit. And it's pretty crappy anime. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Yes.
0: Yes. Everybody knows my thoughts on this show. I hated it i hated yeah. soda specifically so specifically so bad
1: yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. it's just everything there's was, were was so many good things about it but like he just brought that show down so far uh anyway yeah, so should we get started yeah take it away <laughs> all right so on sundays we've got a centaur's life and <laughs> i think the title guy is back for episode 11 do, do you think yeah. you could do it in one breath Oh my god, alright <clears throat> <laughs> Early in the morning for this kind of thing Alright, let's see what we can do It's noon Episode el- <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point Alright <laughs> Episode 11 There are as many names of flowers as there are people That's totally a lie There are as many types of beauty as there are people Which is probably true if you use them in the broad sense <laughs> Nice <laughs> all right so whatever that means uh this episode starts off with tom's little sisters who are about to go out and play when they let it slip that because Sue, the littlest sister who looks like an angel is so tiny and cute people will always want to take her like right away like basically kidnap her this was like (laughs) (laughs) one of the only good things in this whole episode yeah i agree actually um this is also the first time the show has kind of emphasized that Sue appears to have a tail. I don't remember ever seeing it before. Um, I think I noticed it, but I think it's a big uh, maybe you did. I don't know. I like, get. I mean, I was just. Uh, it was a little weird because like Tama, her older sister, doesn't have a tail, even though they have the same parents. But I guess it's just random genetics that.
0: Yeah, but led the, to that. Uh, uh, Sue is uh, a. <laughs> she's a half half. She's a half angel, half cat. But isn't Tama also? Don't they have the same care? Yeah, but Tama's all angel and the triplets are pure cat girls. They don't have any angel. That's true. That's a good point.
1: So it's just like random genetic differences leading to all these different looking kids. (laughs) Yep. So uh, Tama rightfully goes like, what do you mean people want to take her? And after like a little (laughs) bit of prodding, like one of the sisters remembers back to a scene where they're playing, like they came across a dog. And so this dog, like, Sees Sue and he like rolls over on his back. This dog also, also has like six legs, mm-hmm. and for something to wrap that like just looks freaky. I don't know. It just looks wrong when you. What's the name legs. for that? Like, a, well, I mean, I don't know in this world, but like in our well, world, I mean, it would be I mean like, like a mutant dog. Usually they'd be a
0: quadruped. Why are they when they're
1: six legged? A sexiped? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like somebody who watches Hajime
0: no Gal, though a sexiped. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what uh, that sounds like.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, okay, real quick about Hajime no Gal. I'm what episode am I? I don't know, but uh, it's actually been slowly growing on me. If you can just hmm. ignore that one entire scene every single episode where the dude looks at little girls and gets a chubby yeah. for it. Okay, Gosh. I'm up to episode nine, but like. <laughs> The, the way their uh, relationship is written between the two main characters is actually, I think, decent. Oh, that's interesting. I, I would that? maybe uh maybe a little more believable than what Gamers is doing. Okay. But Gamers is just like batshit
1: everywhere right now. So I feel like somebody should make an edit of that show where they just cut out all of the pedo guy scenes and See if it like improves the show it drastically. Actually,
0: it wouldn't be too bad. It'd be it's interesting. Uh there's still other sexualized stuff like the main character almost getting raped like two or three times by episode four. Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> yeah, raped by other women. It's pretty great. It's it's really written <laughs> off as comedy. But pretty the pedal deep. guy definitely needs to go. But okay. it would be fairly interesting, I would think. All right. So, anyway, this dog has
1: six legs. He like rolls over <laughs> on his back, and like all the little sisters start like rubbing his tummy. And then, like, they they're, they get like bored of it. So, like, the little cat girl sisters walk off, and then Sue's behind them. And the dog's like, No, bitch, you coming with me. He doesn't actually say that, <laughs> but he like picks her up by the collar and brings her back to his doghouse. And then, like, he blocks the door so, like, the sisters can't get to Sue. And so it's really funny. I don't know. Like uh, the dog's name is Yoshi, by the way. So this might be some like Mario commentary. I'm not sure about. <laughs> uh, also, the dog has like a bunch of dolls stashed inside his doghouse. Like one of them actually like looks like Sue a little bit. So I think this dog is just like an otaku who wanted <laughs> to like steal his little waifu and like take her back to his house forever. That's hilarious. Anyway, there's also another time when Sue walked off at like a shrine and the cat girl's like found her being hugged by some other girl kind of their age who said like i found her she's my baby sister now uh and like her older sister told her to like to give her back and then like when tama is hearing about all this in the present she's like oh so that's why kawamato's sister is always so apologetic towards me
0: yeah it's pretty <laughs> so
1: <funny>. that, that <laughs> yeah that was the best part of the episode by and then far.
0: it just goes to shit yeah, so, who in the right mind thought what you're going to talk about would be interesting? I don't
1: know. It's so weird. Like I could see this in a, a show like, um, Flying Witch, where they talked about like plants and stuff because they had they're like witches and they have to like brew the plants into things. Basically, what this episode start going into is like Hime and Shino walking home, and Hime telling her about like what a bunch of different types of grass and weeds are and flowers.
0: I was honestly (laughs) impressed or almost like enthralled at one point while watching this because I'm like how long are they going to talk about grass (laughs) well it's always greener on the other side it's because
1: fertilized with shit yeah exactly Gino like points out like a bunch of different types of grass and Hime just keeps naming them it's like a Sesame Street episode basically
0: it's funny we both wrote
1: that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Shino is like impressed that they all have their own names. And uh, the next day, Shino goes to kindergarten. Remember, she's in kindergarten Uh, and she plays blocks with her friends and they have like a pseudo philosophical discussion about different shaped blocks and how they aren't only a triangle or a circle because they also have a square side. And so they can be stacked. They don't understand the concept of volumetric shape.
0: This is way beyond a kindergartner's mind.
1: <laughs> they're basically saying that even though plants and humans are defined by a species, they're not all the same, is what this metaphor is supposed to be. Um, they go back outside and continue to just fucking name different types of flowers. I'm starting to get frustrated at this point. Uh, Shino tells her friends to pass information on when they become old enough to be their own older sisters or whatever, or like older sisters of their own. Um, The next day they come to school and all the flowers are gone and the teacher's like, well, yeah, we pulled up all the weeds, sorry. Uh, But Shino reassures her friend that like, don't worry, the seeds are still in the ground, so they'll flower again next fall. Uh, And then in the next scene, Hime literally explains what volumetric shapes are to Shino. She's like, no, it's like a pyramidical uh, or it's a triangle pyramid or it's like a cone or whatever. So it's just, like, another, like, lesson in fucking shapes. And anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that's the whole first half of the episode, whatever. So if you thought the second half of the episode was going to be better, you were definitely wrong. Uh, It starts off with Sue. Remember, this is, like, the littlest girl. Like, I don't even, is she even in kindergarten? No, I don't think so. I don't think she's in school yet. I don't think she's in school, she maybe preschool, but I don't remember ever seeing that. She's making a bunch of lowly noises while she tries to get her tail through her clothing uh, on her own. Uh, one of her like little cat girl, Chi-Chan Sisters, comes in and like helps pull the tail through like the hole in her like pants and shirt or whatever. And Sue is like kind of upset because she wanted to dress herself on her own. Um, the sisters decide to give her special tail training, so they do some tail exercises together. And Sue has trouble because her tail is like really short and stubby and like her the Chi-Chans are making like figure eights with their tails and circles and she can't do anything with it. Uh, throughout the whole scene, Sue just continues to either moan like a loli does in, like, lowly porn or grimace as she tries <laughs> to move her tail or literally just say the word meow. Like, she literally just says the word meow probably, like, 15 times in that scene. Uh, Tama reassures Sue that, like, don't worry, the Chi-Chan's tails were short when they were little, too. And she shows him, like, some pictures. And she says, like, oh, I, I helped all of them get dressed back then. Don't worry about it. Um... And then one of them asked Tom like, well, why didn't you just dress us in baby clothes instead of adult clothes? It must have been like a lot harder for you to go through two layers. And then this gives the show the opportunity to show Sue naked from the waist up uh, as an example of what it would look like if she was wearing baby clothes. Thank you, show. I I so (laughs) needed this image Uh, (laughs) with pants and skirts. Apparently they explain the cat's tails have to go through two holes Have to go through like their underwear and then the outer part of their skirt. So it was harder for Tama to get their tails through. Um, like, But Tama doesn't actually answer that question right away. She just instead says, like, well, it would be really uncomfortable if your tail was in pants. Uh, and if they go under your skirt when you lift your tail up, you're just going to reveal everything to the world. Uh, she also explains that there's – so basically there's this design for cat girl clothes in this world where it's this little piece of undercloth. That goes on the inside of their skirts where they stick your tail. You stick your tail through it and little piece of cloth actually moves with your tail. Because if it didn't, you move your tail to the side and the cloth didn't move with you, your underwear would be showing. And like the little cheat hands are like, well, I don't care if my underwear shows a little bit. And Thomas is like, I care if it <laughs> shows. So anyway, yeah. Um, the girls asked them, like, why well why don't you just use like baby pants that like snap? And again, the show like lets us see what that would look like using Sue as an example. So she remembers like a time when she tripped and fell because her baby's pants snapped, revealing her bare naked butt, which is kind of funny, but also like I don't trust this show to be funny. It just seems like more pedophile shit. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs>
0: whatever you say it's just more pedophile shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah and then Tom is like yeah uh, this is when the cheese say like we wouldn't mind our underwear showing a little bit and Tom is like I don't want your underwear to be visible to the kinds of people who'd want to see it so that's the show fourth wall breaking uh, shaming pedophiles a little bit there Just I was like oh okay looking show. straight into a mirror when, they, when that was written it was <laughs> that was like one member of the staff writing to another member of the staff of this show and being like fuck you asshole that's what that was <laughs> so Tama shows like Sue a picture of uh, like herself Tama when she was a little to show like to put her at ease and like the other girls are like, Why aren't you, why didn't you, why didn't you stay so cute? Like, why are you so like grown up now? It sucks. And then she's like, Well, if I didn't stay if I stayed cute and little like that, I wouldn't be able to take care of you all. Um, and then to finish off the episode, there's like a set of scenes sparked by little sisters who are watching like a prettiest person in the world television special. And Sue is convinced that her older sister Tama is the prettiest person. But the Chi-Chan's think, like, oh, there must be someone prettier. So the next day, they all, like, go to school. Also, they make a tower out of the three of the, like, catgirls. And they're also making more, like, lowly noises the whole time. Uh, They notice that their teacher, (laughs) Ryuko, is really pretty. uh, But they're like, yeah, but you're not as pretty as our sister. And the teacher's, like, kind of hurt by that. (laughs) But she's like, how can I beat their sister? Like, she, like, lives with them. And she's a high school girl. (laughs) Um, so yeah they come across like Shino and Hime and friends in the park and uh, when they greet one of the cheese just kisses Shino on the cheek so it looks like those lesbian girls rubbed off from earlier this season Um, and the cheese decide that Hime is more cute than pretty but that she'll probably be pretty someday and they also decide that Sue is pretty for a snake girl probably they think Uh, and then one of the cheese tells Shino she's very pretty but she's still a kid this is that same member of the staff saying like, she's a kid <laughs> to the other members of the staff. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and then they're also under the impression that Nozomi is just a boy, which I can understand. And so back at home, the girls report that they couldn't find anybody prettier. And Tama tells them that if they all stay good girls, they'll be the prettiest one day too.
0: Yay! Huh. I'll learn more about <laughs> weeds and grass than I ever wanted to know. <laughs>
1: they named so many different weeds at one point I was like should I write all these down just to complain and I was like no <laughs> you <laughs> no could at way. least timed how long they went it was a couple minutes and just like yeah. stop naming yeah because there was one full scene of like just naming different grasses and there was one full scene of naming different flowers and it was like they were each like at least two to three which minutes, which were long. actually weeds yeah yeah Oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah. uh, This show is just like, I don't even know what to expect from it week to week now. And like, it's just been so boring for like four episodes now that I'm just like dying watching it at this point. It's going, (laughs) it's just going nowhere fast. Yeah, yeah.
0: I agree. It's just straight boredom. And it's, then you just see all this other pedophile stuff and, uh, You keep looking over your shoulder. You're like hoping nobody's watching it over your (laughs) But we can do a show that is turning out to... I mean, it's just really picking up right now, but that's uh, Princess Principle. It is. Episode 11, Humble Double. Uh, This episode was great. I really like where it's going.
1: I thought it was interesting.
0: I have some concerns,
1: but yes, it was pretty good.
0: yeah. So... We start off with Dorothy questioning uh, the guy. He's like, why are they going to kill the princess now all times? Uh, the general says, wasn't that the purpose of Operation Changeling all along was to kill the princess and take her place? Mm-hmm. And like Dorothy just continues to argue, but it isn't going where. And then, but you can also, if you're paying attention to the people at the table, won't even like look at the girls. They're looking away. It's uh, one of the guys and one of the girls. Uh, but the scene finally ends with Ange accepting the mission to assassinate the princess. Uh, they're driving back, and Dorothy and Ange have a quick discussion. Uh, Dorothy doesn't want to kill Princess, but Ainge still wants to go through with it since they are spies. Uh, Dorothy like eventually gets like really mad at Ange and like like I think she slams on the brakes or whatever, and she like punches the seat right next to her or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get a random scene of. A secret meeting of 42 men are gathered, and the leader tells one of them to contact the wall unit and let them know they have arrived in London. They uh, salute with the right fist over their hearts and say, to a world without barriers. And that's it for now, for a while at least. But we go back to Dorothy and Ainge, and they have arrived back at the garage. And Dorothy's like tells Ainge to kind of go ahead. They've come to an acceptance. You know, Ainge doesn't really want to kill the princess either, basically. But she tells her to go ahead. And she's like, I have some maintenance I need to take care of on the car. Uh, before walking away, Ainge says, Thank you, which is interesting. Ainge then runs to the dorms and uses her seatbelt to get up to the princess's window. She knocks, but somebody else opens it. Uh, the person who opens it says she's a friend, and then we hear Princess call her Miss Zelda. Uh, Zelda was apparently sent by Control to be Princess's bodyguard just that day. Uh, she's also been appointed the new commander. And Ainge immediately asked, well, what about Dorothy? And she just stares at her. Uh, she then goes to Dorothy's room and finds her and all her stuff missing. But there was also this super quick scene of Dorothy working on the car and somebody standing in the door do- doorway and Dorothy asks, who are you? And then the scene cuts away. Mm-hmm. And we don't see Dorothy the rest of this episode. It's just, I don't know, it's just quick and random, but... and. Throughout this whole episode, you kind of see the whole uh, group just being taken apart. My guess
1: is that person in the doorway is probably the former control leader, L. That would be my guess, but I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, the only... It's just a dark outline, but it looks like a man, though. hmm But <clears throat> something's up, so Ange goes on a stroll. She notices there are extra agents about that she was not told of. Uh, she runs into the princess and slips her a note so that nobody else sees Uh, And Ange also notes that the bodyguards with her Include the Duke of Normandy's people And a Commonwealth spy Uh, She finds just one spy odd So she can tell something's happening Quickly but can't quite figure out What it is yet The princess goes back to her rooms, opens her bag The note falls out and before she can retrieve it uh, Zelda grabs it She unfolds it but it's just blank Uh, Meanwhile Ange was watching this Through a window with a telescope And notes it's too dangerous to try and contact the princess Uh Ainge meets up with uh, Seven, which is the female that's on the council or whatever, the one that wouldn't look at her, at a train station and asks what happened to L. She says there were changes at the top and they're led by the military now. That's all. So, ominous, maybe. Mm-hmm. Ainge returns to the dorms and finds Chise packing because she has been assigned to a different school, yet one of the other people in the group being uh, taken apart. Ange is kind of shocked by this, and she leaves her room later and finds Zelda just standing there, just just, st- just right across the hall, just leaning against the wall, staring. <laughs> she walks <laughs> off, ignoring her, and Zelda asks how Seven is, and that they execute the mission tomorrow, the mission to uh, kill the princess. That causes her to turn around and say she will be the one to carry out the mission. So the Duke of Normandy is meeting with the Queen and asking for her to attend the newly made cathedral when he gets interrupted by a guard, He leaves the room and Gazelle informs him that part of the army has begun gathering in London. He asks about their leader but she says one hasn't been identified yet. Uh, now we get a scene where Ainge is, it looks like she's building a bomb to turn off these smoke grenades and thinking about when her and the princess first met she was actually at that well Granted, remember, she was the original princess. She was actually at that well because she was going to kill herself. So that's dark and interesting information. Oh, yeah. 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 Think about that. Yeah. But making friends uh, with uh, who we call the princess now changed everything. And we see her end up strapping the bombs to herself under her dress. Uh, The next day, Ainge and the princess go shopping together. And they are they are in like one of the grand I thought it was a train station but it's actually turned out to be one like a blimp station because they got blimps in this reality and it's just it's just really cool and neat and Ange notices that they're being watched but they are intentionally making themselves known because they don't think she will do it Uh, even Zelda is there watching and Ange suddenly grabs a princess hand and takes off they make it to a dress shop and only one of the tails is female so she goes in uh Ainge proposes they ditch the security like they used to. Uh, Princess seems delighted by by this idea, and they do switch spots. So the princess comes out at the back and takes off running, who is actually Ainge. Uh, (laughs) uh, This is going to be interesting. (laughs) Try not to get backwards. Yeah, it's tough. Then the Ainge lookalike quickly appears and says, Go after her. She is on to us. Uh, The princess lookalike, impeccable. Capacitates one of the bodyguards, and it confuses the rest. They're like, "What? The princess can't do that!" But the ange look like it just stands there, smiling, and takes off herself. And the bodyguards are just totally confused now; they don't get what's going on. Uh, the princess looks like gets cornered and releases her bombs that turn out to be the smoke grenades. The two meet up and reverse their roles again. Uh, they run off to one of the airships that's going to Casablanca, and princess is confused as to why angel has been acting like she has since Zelda showed up. Ainge tells her about the orders they were given to assassinate her. She also says her plan all along was to abort Operation Changeling as soon as she met her. Uh, Princess doesn't want to leave because she still wants to help the country. She's very set on doing this. Uh, Ainge says there is no going back after the scene they just caused. Princess gets angry with her and like shoves her down and runs out locking Ainge inside the ship. On the other side, uh, the princess says if one of us disappears, it can be her. Uh, princess leaves saying, never let me see you again. Ainge actually shed some tears over this because she's not very emotional. So that was interesting. Uh, quick m- scene of Chise meeting with her Lord again. And he informs her that he has been some turmoil in the army. If the information he has received is accurate, then her friend is at the center of it, referring to the princess. We cut back to the princess meeting with Zelda and pretending to be Ainge, dressed up as the princess. <laughs> let me reread yeah. that yeah. <laughs> pretending to be Ainge, dressed up as the princess <laughs> yeah, she meets so with like, some she, of the soldiers. she
1: is the princess who is pretending to be Ainge, dressed up as
0: the princess yes yeah, it's really confusing it's <laughs> kind of cool though uh she, and you know they all just like buy it completely but she meets up with some of the soldiers who are ready to overthrow the queen and make her their new sovereign and that's the end of the episode
1: yeah, I have a couple observations about this episode. I'll get into my issues with it, but there's a couple uh, interesting things like they finally mentioned Ange's full name, which is Ange Le Carré, which is a very obvious reference to the famous uh, spy novel author John Le Carré. And he's had like several of his books made into movies. So you might be familiar with like The Constant Gardner or uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which got a lot of like Oscars uh, recognition when it came out. Um, so I thought that was a fun nod that they did there. Uh, and it was it was also a bit strange to me that Beatrice wasn't in this episode at all, but also a welcome surprise. <laughs> that
0: was interesting, too, because
1: she's yeah. always at the princess's side. And the princess was in this episode a lot. Maybe the princess told Beatrice, like, stay out of the way for this episode. But we I don't know. We won't know. Was I, she I even think... with her when they met up on the walk? I don't think so. I don't, I I don't think she was just in like this two episode last I, I think a lot of this is because there's like one more episode after this one, so they're kind of like rushing into a, a conclusion arc here, which we could have seen coming. This kind of like conflict between Ange and the princess, but like it hasn't been set up well because they've spent so much time on these other background episodes that didn't like really fully like hit and like lead into this in a way that felt natural. Like, so the, that ended up being like the way that this episode ended just doesn't work for me as well as it could have. Because like when the princess was pretending to be Ange and she comes back to the other spies, they all act like they trust her that she killed like the actual princess, that she that she carried out her mission and assassinated the princess. But like up until that point in the episode, they've shown absolutely no trust in Ange whatsoever. They're also all professional spies, so they would all want proof that the deed had actually been done and there's no proof. It just makes no sense that they would trust Ange now when they haven't for the entire episode.
0: Not to mention when they
1: question why she made that whole scene like she did. Yeah, exactly. Like there's just so many things that they just like let fly under the radar and I also think it was like a fairly cheap move to introduce all these new elements and new players to the scene and just like the second to last episode like Zelda would have been a good character for them to have been competing against all along the way like I agree. If Zelda, if Zelda had been well I mean Zelda's a commonwealth spy but like if Zelda had been competing with like that the spy who works for the Duke of Normandy and then the girls had just been seeing that over the course of the season that, that would have made a lot more sense um, like just it, all of this could have been set up better. That's all I really think. Uh, and it just feels like a little bit rushed to me. I'm still interested. Like I, like the princess and Ange are the two best characters of the show. So it's good to see that they're budding heads. It makes sense to me that the princess like wants to follow this dream. Like it's all she, like she like worked her ass off for her entire life so she could pretend to be this princess like so I can see why she wouldn't want to just give it up and run away uh, like Ange would do so yeah I understand where she's coming from but I wish everything up setting up around it had just you know been better planned out basically
0: yeah I mean they have they have all this like really great material if they had really planned it out it would have been Mm -hmm. it's really fantastic such a better show
1: yeah yeah it, all in all I still think it's like a pretty decent show like, mm-hmm. but yeah it, it could have been better for sure
0: yeah it's yeah you're like I'm enjoying it but I could I can see how this could have been so much better like really fantastic if they would just I don't know plan more or something
1: yeah well that being said you want to move on to the next show
0: yeah I just miss my Dorothy
1: <laughs> she's still around at least At least she was in the episode she'll be yeah. back don't worry she'll be back and in greater numbers uh, so on Tuesdays We've got Restaurant to Another World, episode 11, Carpaccio slash Curry Bun. Uh, so this episode starts off with Akka, the red dragon, who asks Kuro to protect Aleta and the chef of restaurant Nekia because she's going to be away for a little while. And she says, like, they're two extremely weak beans who we need to be taken care of. Uh, and then afterwards, in we learn that in the continental sea, that is between the two continents of the other world uh, live these like girls called sirens who are beautiful women who have like wings and bird feet and sing songs to enchant sailors out at sea. One of them isn't a girl. Yeah, one of them isn't a girl, which is strange because I think they said that they're all women, but I don't know. Uh, a sister siren is trying to convince her younger brother Arius to come with her to set up a new nest on an island that was formerly inhabited by a human named to the Chimera Killer. Uh, He like reluctantly joins her and they fly over to this island and they find a cave which they determine must have been the Chimera Killers uh, like cave. Uh, They find lines scratched out on the wall and these are the same lines, it's a throwback to the episode where Alphonse Flugel was trapped on this deserted island for 20 years and he would scratch out like seven marks at a time to mark the days between going to the restaurant. He also left behind a sack of money and a letter for the next person who got stranded on the island. And Arius is able to read it and they learn about the restaurant. So they make the island their new nest. And on the day of Satter, the door appears. And so they enter the restaurant and are told to wait for their menus. And the sister spots a piano and (laughs) she like goes to like like see what it does and she hits a note and then like her and her brother start singing and the siren song like starts hypnotizing both Aletta and the chef and then Kuro just like is like what the hell and then like runs over and tells them to stop it
0: oh she runs They're, up to him and just like throws her hands over their mouths and like jerks them backwards oh it's pretty cool. yeah it's
1: true yeah they're also like the sister is like really excited that like you can talk to us straight through your through our mind like that's amazing I want to learn how to do that so they're like they hit it <laughs> off um, she warns them not to sing again obviously uh, so they asked to eat raw fish like earlier we saw them just eating like fish on the beach like like full fish like not like taking their scales off or anything so no, that's just plucking
0: it straight out of the sea and chomping into yeah. it <laughs> uh,
1: the chef recommends his tuna carpaccio Uh, And like To make a long story short They really enjoy it (laughs) Like as everybody does
0: Uh, I was uh, surprised it didn't go with sushi
1: Yeah it was like raw fish Japan sushi right Yeah, But it is a western restaurant I guess Yeah that's true And
0: generally sushi restaurants Is what they specialize in it So that's not what this restaurant does So I was like Okay
1: so, uh, they ask to eat raw fish. Okay, uh, I, I skipped more. Right, I already talked about that. So, Alphonse comes into the restaurant. Uh, Arius recognizes him by name, but they don't say anything and leave, and they decide to stay on the island. So, I don't know why Arius didn't say anything to him, like, thank you. I guess he was just afraid to talk to him for some reason. He kind of, like, smiles at Alphonse and then just doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um uh, At the end of the day, though, uh, Kuro sees the chef acting a little strangely, and she's mostly curious about these curry buns with the chef got from his friend Kimura. So Kuro tries them after eating her like normal chicken curry that she
0: gets as like a salary. Basically, I I was so glad I made a sandwich before I watched this episode when I got to this part. (laughs) Yeah, the curry buns look real good.
1: Uh, Aleta also almost burns herself, biting into like a hot, freshly fried curry bun. Uh, but she also really enjoys it. Uh, but Kuro decides like she still prefers her regular chicken curry dish, but the buns are really damn good too. Um, and also, despite the fact that the chef Aleta and Kuro are all sitting down to eat together, like they don't really talk. Like, and the scene mostly involves Kuro just m- kind of monologuing to herself about you know eating the curry as like they do, and she drinks a, a lassie, like like a like a milk drink to wash it down and i was just like kind of disappointed it's like hey we have like the three sort of main characters of the show all sitting down at a table good chance for them to talk about like things that would be interesting they don't talk they don't talk at all i was i was kind of disappointed so oh really yeah
0: i, well, I mean it was just focusing on the curry bun so
1: i know but it, like this show that's the thing with this show it only focuses on the food and like it it doesn't get out. Like it doesn't talk about Aletta and Kuro and like what they want or like I don't know. I it's not anything more than just about the food is what I'm saying basically, which is a little disappointing. Okay. So, Aletta tells Kuro to take care on her way home and Kuro realizes this kind of this is kind of ridiculous because she lives alone on the moon and can count the number of pe- beans that could actually do her harm on one hand. Uh, but she appreciates like the sentiment from Aletta and wishes her well on her way as well and that's that. that's the end of the episode
0: yay
1: yeah so I, yeah i was just like i'm saying i was just getting like a little bit disillusioned with this show because it's like it's so much like the same formula every episode at this point and i just want like a little bit more from it like to to enjoy it a little bit more like a little <laughs> bit more to sink my
0: teeth into <laughs> oh god the formula <laughs> as in you mean these are our new characters this is what they're eating (laughs) exactly except yeah the second half of this episode it was
1: not new characters it was like our main characters and they just didn't have any story to it they just like we're like
0: oh we're gonna eat now and then they eat they don't necessarily have to be new they just be these are the characters this is what they're eating this yeah scene exactly okay move on sure suridure children i never know if i'm saying that right
1: that was good. I, I give you a 10 out of 10 for that
0: one. Woo! If you look it up on like my anime list, it's like Surzura children.
1: Yeah, I guess the D, like so it's sometimes spelled with a D, sometimes spelled with a Z. I guess it's supposed to be pronounced like Surzura, like, Suray, like a hard DZ sound. Surzura children. I don't know. But okay. it's, like, it's a weird word. I
0: don't know. But regardless, <laughs> every episode of this show is awesome. So, episode 11, Tuning. Takano is at band practice and is having trouble taking her eyes off of Sugawara. Her friend asks her, you know, what's up? And if she is in love or something and it like causes her like the fail of note on her sax, which is kind of funny. She's just like, <laughs> her friend gets like excited and says, don't you want to know about love and stuff? Especially when you see couples like Gota and Ayaka. And then, of course, in walks Ayaka and her friend asks her, you know, how she and Gota started dating and Talking, it was like, "Hey, we shouldn't pry," but Hayako was like, "Oh, I'd be so happy to tell you if just a little, you know, like how they like to gossip." I guess it's it's mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> and then when she says she was the one that confessed. Takano like fails another note <laughs> so I'll yeah, have to get at that it's good she's clearly paying way too much attention to this conversation yeah her <laughs> friend's even like see you do care <laughs> Ayaka asked if uh Takano is interested in somebody and her friend says she has been sighing a lot lately and Ay- Ayaka's like that's what I did that's what you do when you when you find out that you have feelings for somebody and she also says she would follow, she would find herself following Goto with her eyes and then catch herself thinking about him randomly. And this is all the things Takano is doing about Sugawara. Yeah. Uh, Ayaka guesses that it might be uh, Sugawara that Takano uh, likes. Yeah, because she can, like, sort
1: of see her looking at him down on the soccer field. Yeah, she keeps window. glancing
0: out the window and stuff. And she wants to know. Uh, why would she think that? Takano wants to know why she would think that. And Ayaka, Ayaka and her friend both say they've heard rumors that he likes Takano. And Takano is getting like increasingly embarrassed and looks outside again at Segura. And this time they lock eyes and she looks away. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just neat. All right, so Kana has dumped Chiaki.
1: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy that something I wanted actually happened.
0: <laughs> I still don't know what he did, calls for a breakup though he, he kissed her without permission basically
1: I think that's or like not without like he kissed her in the wrong way in a shitty way I, I was gonna say the permission was there, there. the p- both- permission was there but like she she was specifically saying like I want my first kiss to be special and then he like just drunkenly slobber slobbered all of her face <laughs>
0: he, he no he faked the drunkenness
1: did he fake the drunkenness I yeah. don't even know well, if he did, then that's even worse because then he was in control of what he was doing. No, and, he's like, like he just like, was no, not I, listening to her. Yeah. No,
0: I faked it. And he's like, no, I'm completely sober when I did that. Yeah.
1: Oh god, I forgot that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that part. I was even more pissed at him.
0: Yeah, he totally. Yeah, he, he's like, oh no, that was an act. I think that's what he says. Oh, yeah, he wow. wasn't drunk at all. But he really wants her back, and he tries to talk to her at school, but it's like she walks away. And her friend asks if that was really okay to break up with him, and she kind of has she's having a little bit of regrets you know she still kind of likes him but she's still pissed at what he did uh <laughs> i love i love this show man it's so good <laughs> <laughs> that night Chucky says to himself that he will send one more i'm sorry text and then he will give up Ghana's at her home says to herself that if he sends one more text she'll forgive him
1: by the way, she's sitting in her bathtub at, as this goes
0: on. <laughs> yeah, I think she made that decision in her bra and panties, and then oh, she moves okay. to the bathtub. <laughs> gotcha. So you get the undergarments, and then the final scene, she's just naked. But it kind of adds to the humor, I thought. Uh, but Chiaki's kind of having trouble writing his text because he doesn't know if he should be long, a long one or short one or not. And meanwhile, Kana is just sitting in the tub, staring at her phone, waiting for a text. Chiaki finally settles on You know, he sends the text. Can I call you kind of gets it? She's like surprised. She's like, oh, but then she drops her phone in the bath. And there's just this tense scene where she's sitting there frozen for like a good five seconds and then just freaks out (laughs) she jumps out of the tub she's trying to draw dry it off and yes it's being very fan servicey at this point but you know all the important parts are blocked
1: i can't even like it's but i'm laughing so hard
0: i I can't take the fan service even serious at this point yeah uh she's like trying to dry it off real quickly and then she's like hitting the on button and nothing and nothing and nothing and she's like she finally breaks down and like starts crying (laughs) and then it cuts away real quick back to like Chiaki and he's like no, nah, she's ignoring me. She always has her phone. She always, she even takes it to the bath with her. <laughs> but then we go back to uh, Kana and like her mom walks in. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> she's like, my phone, I dropped it in the bath. And her mom takes it for her and she's like, oh, it is a good whack. And just like punches it twice before Kana can get it back. But then it's like actually on. She's like, what? It worked. <laughs> then her mom's like, yeah, I'm good with electronics. But then, just then Chiaki calls and kinda answers and she's like Chiaki and they both are like Domo and then her the phone dies in her hands and Chiaki's like she hung up on me <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hilarious it's a very funny scene. Still not as good as the phone scene from the episode where the guy's little sister got a hold of it and the girlfriend knew that was well the that best. was
1: like kind of epic. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> that might so that good. might be the best scene from this whole show. I don't know. It's pretty close.
0: Mm-hmm <laughs> So moving on to our next couple, it's Kanda and Takase. We haven't really had too much with them, I don't think. Yeah, no. (laughs) So this is our couple that they're both really in love each other, but they're too freaking shy to get together. Yes. Uh, But Kanda has forgotten her pencil leads, and Takase wonders and he sees this, but he wonders if he offered this to her, would she think he had al- artillery motives?
1: <laughs> Which is such a weird thing to think. It's like, hey, baby, take my pencil lead. It's like, <laughs> like come
0: on, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> yeah, but then Kanda is also wondering if she asked to about Takase's Tukas, pencils leads over one of her girlfriends, would he think she had ulterior, ulterior motives? And they both have this inner monologue at the exact same time that says, well, I mean... I do have ulterior motives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Kanda end, ends up asking Yuki if she can borrow hers, but she has a different size and says she could use this to get close to to Takase. She's like, "What? No, not here." <laughs> uh, during the exam, she runs out and Takase like tosses her some lead, and she thanks him afterwards. And the two are like talking, but then like Yuki, Yuki's in the back looking at the two, and she's wondering to herself, "Why are these two not dating yet?" <laughs> Uh, so this is your favorite couple right The next ones
1: uh yeah probably
0: (laughs) so we got our delinquent blonde ryoko is going over her notes before an exam and she's basically just freaking out about it uh she remembers an argument she had with her mom about going to college and regrets sleeping through like all her classes you know not until so late now finally trying to be good uh two other girls see her trying really hard and one of them says to the other girl you know she used this as an example but she you know to get the test done but then she like quickly interrupts her and she's like oh no she's just doing it for a man the other girl like had no idea and she's like oh yeah she's dating the student council president <laughs> <laughs> it blows her mind and, and then uh, in the back of the classroom uh crazy blonde guy shinichi says to uh, masafumi that his chick seems to be struggling up there. He replies, it's all part of her practice, you know, and whatnot. But Shinichi can see that Masafumi is very worried about her. He's back to his like hands are shaking He's like, I hope she passes. Uh, the teacher <laughs> hands out the test, and Ryoka remembers when Masafumi asked if he could kiss her when she finishes. She's like, I ah, get that shit out of my head. I gotta focus. She actually knocks her eraser off her desk and then has like this internal conflict about being a delinquent who would raise their hand to get their eraser back. But,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: but the girl who was surprised that she was going out with the student council president earlier uh, raises her hand and gets the teacher to pick it up. And then like the teacher congratulates her on working so hard. And the girl's like, I'm rooting for you. Mm-hmm. And like, she's so touched, but it cuts away. The camera does, but she's so touched. I guess she like starts to cry and they're like, are you okay? Do you need to go to the nurse's office? And like the other lazy girl's like, I want to go to the nurse's office and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Ryoko's just like, freak out. she's like, no, I'm fine. Don't worry, don't worry about me. It's, it's funny. I thought watched was
1: interesting show. with the, uh, like the eraser etiquette where it was like expected that the teacher would pick it up. Because I guess like if the students are seen like handing stuff back and forth between each other during a test, that would be bad. Yeah. So it's like the teacher's responsibility to like, pick stuff up which is kind of funny as a teacher I'd be kind of annoyed (laughs) but I guess I understand where that's coming from oh the only thing I forgot to mention is like when the uh, in that first scene when the girls are looking out the window at like Sugawara they have like their brass instruments and it just makes me think of Hibike Euphonium like I can't not think of Hibike Euphonium when I see two girls standing next to like a window playing brass instruments it's just like so ingrained into my head from that show but uh Hmm. good thing I've never seen it then (laughs) It's a good show. Well, the first season is good. The second season, uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Okay, yeah, those are my basic
0: thoughts. Yeah, this show still continues to be fun. That's good. Yep. Wednesdays. Soccer request. Episode twenty-four. The Eternal Obelisk. So the girls are kind of bummed out about the absorption, and it's. We also find out it might take about two years for it to fully happen or even come to fruition. Uh, but to help cheer everybody up, Yoshino uh, must go with the, they're, they're going to go along. Yoshino says they're going to go along with their plans so that Manoyama traditions don't disappear, even if the town gets absorbed. Uh, at the office, some supplies for the festival have arrived, and as they are checking them out, Kadota uh, arrives and seems to be most bummed basically of everybody else about this. Yoshino tries to cheer him up, and it doesn't succeed. At practice for the play, Kadota takes a break with uh, Chitose and they talk about the absorption uh, Chitose is fine with it because Manoyama has always survived and they need to do their part so that future generations will remember. Kadota still doesn't seem so sure about it even after that little speech and if you haven't figured it out yet every scene is about the absorption in everybody's opinions <laughs> including Sandalson, who
1: I quote will say I like absorbent things it helps when they're quilted
0: <laughs> yeah
1: just thought I'd to, like, throw that in there such a random
0: line uh, he's so random so Taka Mizawa and Noge are at Angelica's talking about how they will be the low ones on the totem pole on government issues when they become absorbed they also bring up again about the town's traditions will probably be discarded and forgotten out of nowhere Amiyama shows up with some information he would like to share with Yoshino uh, we immediately cut away to another scene that explains what he was there for. Apparently he would like a, well, he's there warning them that, uh, the people they worked with last time for that moving mountains thing on episode six, seven, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. They want a local auto group to be added to the play. So this would involve, uh, casting changes in the addition of five more girls. Uh, He, of course, wants the idol to play the dragon girl and would also take Ruby's place in singing the dragon song. Boo! Yeah, his bargain is that he has the primetime slot on the TV network and would be willing to let them use up the entire slot for a live broadcast broadcast of the Mizuchi Festival, what they're trying to throw. But it turns out what Amayamiya was actually doing was informing them about this deal ahead of time before Kume shows up and offers them the deal. Uh, He warns them because he felt responsible for what happened when they filmed an episode of Moving Mountains in their town. Uh, They want to refuse the deal because it would just be another repeat of last time. Still, a primetime TV spot would be a lot of helping people know about the festival. Uh, The girls come up with compromises before Kume shows up the next day and... During their meeting, Kadato's there, and Yoshino says, you know, we have some ju- suggestions. But before Kume can even respond to that, Kadato says, there's no room for negotiating, negotiating, and immediately just refuses the deal flat out. End of that deal.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just saying, like, we need to protect our traditions. Like, we need to do this our way.
0: Mm-hmm. We can't do that. Uh, the girls decide to keep uploading videos daily about the festival leading up to it. Uh, and it also seems a lot of people in the village Are also doing the same uh, In this scene we also find out that Maki's little brother got into a music college In Tomikura Majoring in percussion At the end of the scene Yoshino gets a call from her and And leaves the room to take the call uh, Switch over to Kaduta is at home Watching TV when his wife comes into the room He tells her there has to be something that he can do That only he can do Short little scene we move on again and then we really see the town really becoming active with the festival upcoming in the form of giving like donations and stuff like that. Uh, the girls talk a little bit about what they're going to do after the festival and this kind of prompts Maki to ask Yoshino what the call from her agency was about. And they just wanted to discuss about her contract ending soon. Nothing really serious right so far. And Yoshino is still really not sure what she wants to do, but is considering all her options. The next day, the girls are cleaning up the original shrine with Sandalson and Doku. Doku's got, like, a little power washer. It's kind of funny. Uh, Riri finds some names carved into one of the stones, and one of the names is the foreign engineer that was brought over to help build Sakura Pond. Uh, Sandalson is happy to find proof of his roots in the town, because that engineer was his, like, great-great-grandfather or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm later in the evening the girls are setting some stuff up on the stage when monkey requests yoshino's help she tricks her into like the little cave for the play and locks her in just long enough for like a bunch of people to gather and throw her a surprise birthday party it was cute the following day they start the festival with carrying the shrine through the town kadota inwardly promises himself he will not let the town disappear uh And then they close out the episode with random shots, like the festival proceeding and going through the town. Or so you think until they pull a Rage of Bahamut on you and have an after credit scene. (laughs) Uh, Kadota comes across that stone earlier with the names on it and says, we might be able to use this. Uh, he says he might be able to make sister, sister cities with Manoyama and Sandalsan's hometown. Uh, getting a sister city might get them some more leverage in the absorption and Kadota tells Sandalsan to get him in touch with his hometown mayor who turns out to be currently on a trip in Japan viewing cherry blossoms and is currently in Kanazawa Kadota immediately drives away to bring the mayor to Manoyama to see the cherry blossoms and experience the festival Uh, Doko has a good line at the end that he says same old idiot that idiot that once destroyed the festival is now the idiot that is trying to keep it alive (laughs) yeah that was the end of it
1: Yeah, it's just it was a good setup for the finale, which I'm sure will be a whole bunch of fun. Uh, I also liked some there was like some short montage scenes near the end of this episode as they're setting up for the festival where like a lot of characters from the previous episodes in the series are like coming back to the town now. Like I remember the one where like they... Remember, like, those three women who visited the town to, like, meet with, like, the singles committee, basically? Yep. Like, yep. so that woman is back. and I was like, oh, that's really funny. And, like, sh- her and the guy she actually liked, like, bump into the other guy who was, like, hitting on her, who was, like, <laughs> a crossing guard or something at this point. It was really funny. So, yeah, these little when, moments like that coming back.
0: Yeah, when they, when you thought it was closing it out, they, yeah, they were, when they were carrying the shrine through, yeah, they were doing all kinds of shots and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. so that'll be that'll be a fun I can't wait to watch that final episode I'm really excited for that actually
0: yeah I need to recommend it to a lot more people I don't I think it's very under the radar for most people yeah
1: and I think it's partially its own fault I think like Mm -hmm. it it didn't start off like as strong as it could have but it did the second half of the season I think is much stronger than the first Mm -hmm. and but also it's just like the material of the show is like a little bit boring like it's about like a backwater Japanese town and like the trials and tribulations it goes through but like so if you're not interested in that you're not going to be interested in I'm, the show. I'm
0: surprised i am interested in that i just i think they present it in a very entertaining manner so. they do for sure like it, i think i'm just invested in all the girls at this point so no matter what they do i want to see what happens true yeah okay well let's do thursdays and we can talk about gamers <laughs> becomes favorite misunderstandings Oh, my God. Uh, Eat up here. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. We'll get to that. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. That was weird. It's right at the beginning. We'll get right to it. Episode 10, Gamers and Next Stage. We open with Amano asking Aguri to join them at the gamers meetup. Aguri doesn't want to join at first, but Amano has invited Karen also, and Aguri does feel a little conflicted about it, but still doesn't say she will go. In a last-dish effort, Amano offers his pie to her instead instead of being himself and she finally agrees and then that's when he has his little inner monologue yeah,
1: he's like thinking to himself about agree like eat up dear I like eat your pie and I was just like oh my god you're such a creepy bastard <laughs> he's just such a creep I don't know it's it's funny but he's such a creep
0: <laughs> uh, so Amano's with like Chiaki and Konaha, and he's like congratulating Chiaki on being confessed to by Uruhara because he still thinks Uruhara likes Chiaki uh, but Konoha is like Her voice of reason here And she's like You should turn him down Since he already has a girlfriend That's He's a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> So that makes me really like Konoha a lot Yeah that was a good Solid outtake On the whole situation <laughs> Yeah But Chiaki's like I, But I don't have a good excuse To turn him down So like Amano calls he says, I'm going to call the professional rejector. And he calls Karen.
1: <laughs> and Karen's
0: like, oh, yeah, you just you tell him.
1: <laughs>
0: Karen's like, uh, are you going to use it for your own personal use? And he's like, uh, "Yes, yes, I am." And she's like, "No, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> that, that's like how she she's like barked it out. <laughs> she's like, "I will not tell you how to break up, how to turn people down." <laughs> and it's really funny because it's just messing with Karen so bad on the other end of the phone. And like, it's so much that Amano thinks she's in like some kind of trouble. And there's like this guy with a hood up, and he jogs by, and he's doing like boxing punches, and he's like, "Did some go- some jogger come by and?" punch you or something is so stupid (laughs) and she's like no i'm okay but then he's like no i'll come and help what kind of boyfriend would i be if i didn't come and help my beloved girlfriend and then like she's like so touched by it she recovers and she ends the phone call by saying i love you and then hangs up
1: (laughs) that was a roller coaster of a phone call for her
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes she went from thinking she's going to be rejected to knowing that she's actually beloved so yeah she was she was losing it, but Amano like sits down and like he sits down with like his elbows on his knees and like this concerned look on his face, and the other two are like, uh, "What? What happened?" And then he just sits there and he's like, "Why is my girlfriend so adorable?" And then Konoha just like hits him like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> uh, they then go over like a couple of ways Konoha uh, Konoha would reject people and. This is when Amano decides to get everybody together at the game meetup and talk things out. That's his big plan. Also, this was a scene for Amano to say to Konoha that she's cute.
1: Yeah. Nah, I don't know about that. Yeah, Yeah. he says,
0: he says, how do you reject people? You're so cute. You must get confessed to all the time. Yeah. But anyways, at the meeting next day, Amano immediately chickens out and says something about running full speed to go buy a game. So this is such a throwaway scene. So they yeah. like give their advice to Amano on getting the game. And he also talks about why he loves this series and it's kind of metaphor. Yeah. For Chiaki on like why, I don't know. It's, a, it's, I it's there, but it's kind of a stretch at the same time. It's weird.
1: I agree. It was like a loose metaphor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, Chiaki's back home, lying on her floor with games like spread around her. And she's using her PZ four as a pillow. Which Looks, does, it looked comfortable though <laughs> I
1: was like yeah you know what would be
0: even more comfortable The PS4 Pro or sorry the PZ4 Pro Got even <laughs> Pro more cushion <plus>. <laughs> uh, But then like her sister walks in And she's like what Are you doing and she says she was looking for an old game And it's the uh old game that Amano was talking about from the last episode From the last scene
1: yeah, Star Ocean I think is what they yeah. were talking about yeah. He's gonna
0: go get Star Ocean 8 and she She has like the first one so she's looking at Uh also, there's a lot of fan service shots of Konoha here. She's like, Definitely. one part, she's like bending over, looking at her, talking to her sister, so you see down her shirt. And then there's a scene where she sits on the bed and it's just like all leg shots, and you're expecting to get a crotch shot almost.
1: It's very similar to, um, Aramanga Sensei because she dresses a lot like how Sigiri does where mm-hmm. mostly what you see her wearing is her hoodie and then just all legs besides that so yep. it's it's that same like Lolicon type of like fan service shot like it's that mean, kind of thing it's not as bad as Aramanga Sensei but it's like it's evocative of the same thing that's what I would say well
0: Konoha has the zipper down a lot farther that's for that's, sure
1: that's true that's true she, yeah. she does seem a bit older to me than 12 so like yeah I don't know but still it just seems inappropriate
0: huh? uh, what the scene devolves into is basically Konoha giving Chiaki some shit about liking Amano and she needs to make her own decision about it already Uh Urahara finds his chance to finally go and support Chiaki in her quest to get Amano but of course When he arrives, Chiaki thinks he's there to ask her out. And Nuhara thinks because of the way she's acting is because she isn't sure about her feelings for Amano. Half right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Karen shows up at the very end of the scene and like wants to ask the two of them for their opinion on something. Uh, The reason Aguri was away is because her friend, she thought she was meeting up with her friend and a bunch of other friends for uh, just a bite to eat. But when she gets there, it's her friend and two douchebags uh she sits down and they start talking some crap about her being involved in a game meetup group saying thing like uh they're probably porky nerds and they're probably masturbating to aguri and they like pisses her off so she gets up and leaves, but her friend chases after her she like wants to know what the big deal is she defends the game club basically and after she has walked away she tries calling uahara but he isn't picking up i loved how aguri like stood her ground in that scene she's like
1: yeah Yeah, well they may be porky nerds but I have more fun talking with them than I've ever had talking with you and like her friend just doesn't get it because she's like so in that mindset of like popular teenager that she has no idea but like and like Aguri like really stands her ground until like she walks away like you said and then like she gets really upset and then tries to call Taseku. like cheer her up kneels
0: down and like tries to call him and she's like oh he isn't answering (laughs) yeah yeah so this is a strange scene there's a lot of I don't understand why what happened but <laughs> Karen Chiaki and Urhar are walking home together when Karen tells them why she wanted their opinions she starts off by talking about how being with Amano makes her so happy but there are times when games are more important like today and that he goes and eats with Guri all the time also uh, worries her but Urhar is like I don't think meeting with a Guri is a problem though He's he says uh, she thinks of him as like an, an annoying younger brother yeah uh, exactly then Chiaki gives a little speech and how that's just how Amano is, you know, his games are that important to him. And then this is really where I started getting lost because I don't know why Urahara then stops Karen from continuing going on about talking about how much she likes Amano.
1: Oh yeah, to not hurt Chiaki's feelings. Yeah, he and knows I said, that I guess Chiaki likes Chiaki's Chiaki's him, feelings, but actually, does he know that Chiaki likes him?
0: I, yeah, because remember he's supporting Chiaki
1: yeah he sees he is supporting Chiaki so he wanted Karen to stop talking about it so it's like he could he noticed that Chiaki was feeling uncomfortable I think yeah
0: yeah but as they're walking together it's like Karen, Urahara and then Chiaki with Urahara in the middle but he stops him by like putting his hands over their shoulders like hey Uh, (laughs) of course Aguri is across the street and she sees him and she's like (laughs) Of course, you're cheating. And she runs away, and like the other three chase after her, yelling at her, it was a misunderstanding. And basically, uh, Karen and Chiaki say like really bad things, but He's like, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at the very end, Aguri's like panicking and messages Amano. And next scene, they finally caught up with her and Aguri, and everything has been explained, and they laugh it off. But then, like, Amano shows up, and they're surprised because they expect him to be so de- dedicated to gaming he that he wouldn't come to her rescue but he does and he's like oh of course i would be here i thought you broke up with urahara and was like seriously depressed uh karen is surprised you know that they put the game aside for aguri and amano and aguri have this like really cute little scene with the other three looking on like what the fuck is going on between you two <laughs> yeah uh it, yeah and, and honestly like I, that was one of the first times in this
1: show that I really felt chemistry between two characters. Was that scene between Amano and Aguri? Because I think they're both like the same kind of crazy in a in an interesting way. <laughs> like they're both like completely like paranoid and crazy and like they just they just seem like a good match for each other. Yeah, honestly. they
0: they connect very well. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I would say that in in earlier in that scene when like uh, they catch up to a and like she's basically she basically sums up this whole show in one line where she goes, It was a misunderstanding, tee hee. And then she like sticks her little cat tongue out. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, Aguri, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it's like that's the whole show. It's like, oh, it was a misunderstanding, hee hee. That's the whole show right there. And yeah. Uh, and also fuck Tasuku. He continues to be. His- such an idiot it was <laughs> yeah he's such an idiot Yeah, he's just like playing these
0: girls I swear to god <sighs> it's yeah it was worst. all about Karen at first and then he suddenly all for Chiaki yeah so I guess he doesn't care what happens to Karen but he's like poor, never broken heart.
1: for a guri like go talk to your own girlfriend for once like sort things out and they kind of did after the life game a little bit but like they still haven't talked a lot since then it's been stupid
0: They. they- <laughs> it shows them apart so much it's like they are not a couple like they're supposed to fail or something yeah even though they like they had a cute little uh how they got together like that was cool mm-hmm I like that but that's it
1: well Fridays. let's move on ready? I'm, ready I'm ready for Fridays and Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul episode 22 which way is the wind blowing West. so yeah <laughs> This episode starts with Bacchus' carriage flying over Abos and Hamsa saying that they haven't been back here since 10 years prior with the final battle against Bahamut. And Favro is listening to this and he briefly thinks about what happened at that battle and Amura and everything. So Cherios and his lead scientists are overseeing this crackling green energy of, of this like super weapon that they're overlooking and it has almost reached its power limit, at which point it may blow away like half the continent, they say. And uh, Cherios says, like, we're going to go ha- ahead with our plan to release the seal and then we'll go from there. And then the weapon makes a sound like the growl of a dragon. And that's where I was starting to think. This has something to do with Bahamut. <laughs> yep. The same thing here. Yeah. So exactly. armies have gathered at the hill that uh, Jean told them to gather at last episode. And she appears out of the clouds and addresses like the chanting humans and like demon soldiers who were there. She says her son was taken from her and victory will be theirs. And uh, and this is for all of the people who have suffered at Cherios's hands. So Anate, the uh, capital, is evacuating. And the Onyx guard says that the defense must focus on the prison island. Like nothing else matters that just can't allow anyone to get near the weapon Dromos. Um, but he also coughs up some blood once the orders are issued. Uh, he's clearly at his limit with that like soul feeding stone that he has implanted in his chest like the other Onyx soldiers. Uh, Alisson is at the head of like his army. And... The, he's talking to one of the soldiers, or no, he's not talking. One, two of the other soldiers are saying, like, many of the people who were loyal to Jean left to join her when she uh, announced, she made her announcement. And Alessand wonders, like, where is Diaz? Where has he gone? And he's very conflicted still about what he did to Elle. Like, he's extremely racked with guilt about it. So Kaiser and Diaz head off Jean's force to try and stop her from doing it, so from, like, attacking the city. Uh, and Kaiser tells her Alison acted on his own to kill El. He was not ordered by Charios, and he asks her to halt that march and not spill, like, just more needless blood. But Jean refuses, saying that no matter his actions, like, the king targeted El's life all along, and he's going to pay for what he's done. So Jean starts the battle off by firing off this, like, massive beam of angelic light from her staff that explodes into, like, the castle's defenses, and then, like, the battle commences, and... I think you said that you thought like the action didn't look so good in this scene, and I would kind of
0: agree. It, like, yeah, I think it got rough in parts. And then, yeah, which sucks because it's been really good so far.
1: Exactly. I think it was just like didn't live up to the rest of the show in this scene. It was just okay. It was just average. Uh, just like arrows flying back and forth between the armies, stuff like that. Uh, meanwhile, the box's carriage is flying through the fog towards Abos and they spot this green beam coming out of the center of this uh, fog and. Nina says he's here referring to Cherios like she can sense that he's here. Uh, so Cherios like raises his sickly left arm. He's inside the room with the weapon. He's going to try and activate the weapon. However, he's interrupted because Nina and Favro have infiltrated the base. Um, Nina is like freaking serious and she's using a whip and like like she also like backhands a soldier and she gets through like several guys and like gets to Cherios basically. Cherios unsheathes his sword and stands firm, and the weapon lets out a dragon growl again, and Favro says, so it was Bahamut after all, and he asks, what the hell are you guys up to? Uh, but Nina doesn't care. If they're going to take more lives, she just wants to stop them. So she attacks Cherios, and she's able to actually disarm him, because he's pretty weakened, I think, from the, like the, the bracelet on his arm and trying to activate the weapon. She picks up his sword and stops herself before cutting off his arm. And Cherios says to her, go on, just do it. And she cocks the sword back and brings it down, but she just misses his hand on purpose. She can't bring herself to hurt him still. And so she's in tears, realizing that she's just unable to stop the one she loves. And Favaro asks Cherios straight up, like, what are you planning to do after resurrecting Bahamut? And the scientist claims that Cherios is trying to do the opposite of res- resurrecting Bahamut. And Favreau orders him to explain before he kills Cherios. So then we get some backstory on this whole thing. So the scientist says the plan is for Cherios to slay Bahamut. And 10 years earlier, there was a young steward at the castle who is now the head of the Onyx Guard soldiers who we saw earlier in this episode, he discovered a book in the demon Martinet's chambers This is the demon from the first season, which held information concerning the destructive powers of Bahamut. And also the details of like the Dromos weapon that they discovered that had the gods had sealed away. They confirmed that Bahamut would inevitably return and so they decided they needed to put a leader in power, Cherios, who would have, like, the mental fortitude to do whatever it took to slay Bahamut. So Favreau asks Cherios if he's truly looking to die just to slay Bahamut. And he responds that this was his destiny. Like, ever since Bahamut killed Cherios' mother, he's felt this way, that he needed to do this. Destiny. <laughs> He tells uh, Nina to stay out of his way and he approaches the weapon and raises his hand. Favro asks him one last question. He asks, like, why were you surprised to see Nina here? Did the guy in the black armor tell you she died or something? And Favro goes on to, like, posit that Cherios didn't order Nina's death, nor did he order El's death since he picking a fight with the gods is the last thing he'd want if he was trying to slay Bahamut. Mm-hmm. Uh but like the weapon begins to overflow with energy. It creates this like black miasma around it. And then Cherios tells them to leave if they don't want to die. There's just still a little bit of time. And Cherios and those scientists walk through this opened portal and then Nina and Favro just need to, like, get the hell out of there because everything starts, like, exploding behind them. And they, they run and they barely, like, outrun the explosion and, uh, and reach Bacchus's carriage. But Nina gets separated for a second. Like, it looks like she might not make it, but she jumps for it and just barely grabs Favro's hand and gets aboard. Uh, all of a sudden, Charios and the scientists are aboard the bridge of an airship. And they actually have, like, a little fleet of airships there. Uh, the airships look pretty cool. They look like dragons to themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then, but this huge beam of light is emerging from the ground, from like where the the green beam was before. It's a, it's a yellow in color now, and you hear like the sound of a dragon. And then you see like these beams of light come out and like destroy several of several of the airships. And Charos is like, just get the fleet in formation because we're taking him to the capital. And by him, he means Bahamut, who has been resurrected, and he is now in some sort of, like, golden-lit glory. He he looks like golden, you know, stage Bahamut, basically, or whatever.
0: Yeah, see, this is where the... uh Animation came back.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and so they mean to take him to the capital so they can destroy him with the super weapon, basically. Which to me seems like a pretty dangerous plan. <laughs> like resurrect the most dangerous thing in the universe to like drag it across the continent to like the capital and destroy it. I mean, it's a. I mean, it's the only way they can do destroy it. But yeah,
0: I mean, if he's going to come back, regardless why not make it under your own schedule right
1: yes that's true and so they, they've resurrected him like way earlier than he was supposed to come back in order to, to kill him I don't think it was uh, way
0: I only think it was like a couple years or like 10 years or something like that
1: maybe I don't remember from the first series how often Bahamut shows up though I don't remember hmm. um, I wonder though what Bahamut's resurrection means for Amara because where we uh. left off with Amara she was sort of inside Bahamut sealing him away so they just released the seal on Bahamut. So what does that mean for her? Is she still alive in some sense? Like, I hope that Favro and her somehow get some closure, even if it's like Favreau talking with her spirit somehow. Like, I don't yeah. care. I just want some fucking closure. <laughs> That's all I, I agree. want.
0: No, I agree with you, and I think that would be really awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, like, again, yeah, basically, mood motivation is, you know, Bahamut killed my mother. So he, he enslaves all these demons and destroys, like, humanity's relationship with the gods so, like, mankind can become powerful enough to res- to resurrect his mother's killer in order to slay it once and for all. In that case, I'd say, like, Jean is kind of completely justified in killing him over what he did, uh, what he indirectly did to El. Because, mm-hmm. like, if if his reasons are, are, like, this asshole dragon killed my mother, so I'm going to take it out... Like then, like he deserves to get payback as well. Like he still hasn't really redeemed himself in any way that I see. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't absolutely. think he's innocent now, obviously.
0: And it's setting it up that when he fires his weapon, is probably going to kill him anyways.
1: Probably yes.
0: They they keep bringing that up. They're like, you saw, you see what it did to your eye. What's it going to do to you next time? Yeah. Ben brought up multiple times. So. Yep. That's all it's I guess. Interesting. For
1: that, so. What do we got? Like two more episodes of that, or one more? Two two more episodes. Okay, twenty-five episodes. So how many? It's either twenty-four or twenty-five. Uh, twenty-four, probably so twenty-four. Two, two more episodes. Yeah. yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the next show, uh, which is somehow more gory and gruesome than *Rage of Bahamut*. <laughs> <laughs> so *Made in Abyss* episode eleven, Nanachi. So it's all about that little rabbit girl, right? So this episode starts off by showing the entire mouth to mouth scene from the end of last episode again. Uh, and I actually had read Leo's notes on this episode before I started and I was just like, yeah, this is really bad. Cause <laughs> so like the only difference we get in this scene is that, uh, it starts off with Nanachi's point of view and, uh, she like briefly remembers another young girl who she had met in a brief flashback. And that's like what prompts her to go help Reg. Um, but literally, like, the first three minutes and 30 seconds of this episode are all a repeat besides that, followed by the OP. So, like, the new content for this episode literally only starts five minutes into the episode, which is really bad. Like, come on. We didn't need to see all that shit again. There's no reason for it. That's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. So, Reg notes that Nanachi looks like a small child, uh, and Reg is, like, hesitant to trust her, and he has, but he has no other options, so he has to. Nanashi cuts uh, Rico's tourniquet loose to allow the poison to flow through the rest of Rico's body, and only then they'll just get rid of it. Uh, apparently, that's the right way to treat it. Uh, Nanachi administers medicine her friend made to Rico Re- t- and gives it to Rico anally. Of course, Reg is like looking on at this and blushes. Um, but after what Rico's done to him in the past, I feel like this makes them even anyway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Nanachi like, removes bone fragments from uh, Rico's arm, like basically surgically removing stuff, and then notes that there's also been quite a bit of nerve damage to her arm, so I'll keep that in mind. We'll so, see if Rico's arm like will ever recover. She sutures Rico's wound closed when she's finished removing the debris inside. Uh, so Nanachi tells Reg that she needs him to go fetch a bunch of things to help Rico because like basically at this point she's only delayed Rico's death. Um, So if he wants to save her, he's going to have to go find these things. Uh, He also wonders like, Hey, why didn't you cut Rico's arm off at the elbow? You could have gotten through the bone there. And he, she realizes, wait, were you just following her instructions? So apparently Rico instructed him to cut her arm off past the elbow because she knew she would still be able to do more cave raiding stuff as long as she had her, like, a little bit of her forearm. I guess it would have made a big difference cave raiding-wise. Um, so, Reg uh, finally introduces himself and in Rico, but Nanachi says, like, she already knows their names since she's been listening to everything they've said s- they, since they entered her hunting grounds. Uh, and she, yeah, like, she was the strange presence that Reg had noticed uh, when he was, first like, place. entering, yeah. And so, Reg is angry that, like, she didn't help them during the orbed piercer's attack. And she only helped afterwards because she pitied Reg, like, crying over Rico's body. Um, and Reg's about to get really upset, but here's a noise from the other room. And Nachi's like, oh, yeah, that's just, like, the person I live with or whatever. It's like, she introduces him to her cute little midi. And what this thing is, it's like a blob of, like, flesh that does not look human, really. And Nanachi says, like, this is what happens when you survive the ascent from the sixth layer of the abyss. All of your personality and intellect vanish, and Mitty is also a hollow. Um, so then Reg asks, so, like, what, Nanachi, aren't you a hollow? Why don't you look like that? And she says, there's a reason, and that he shouldn't get his hopes up, but she doesn't elaborate any further on why she doesn't look like that. Um, she also says that cave raiders usually kill their friends and take their belongings if they turn into a hollow. So it's probably better to do what Nanachi did and say that like, Oh, that person just died. Um, rather than tell them that they're like keeping them alive, as a hollow, uh, Nanachi gives Rico a list of items to go to collect. Um, and say, he tells, uh, she tells Reg that he only has like 12 hours before Rico is going to die. Um, and so, Reg runs off thinking of something Nanachi said that she said like I guess you can't see it then can you I don't really know what that was referring to uh, but he just decides to focus on the task at hand Um, so meanwhile back in the hut Nanachi notices the white whistle around Rico's neck and thinks back to a scene from like years ago because it looks like she's much younger uh, when like one of the other white whistles who was mentioned in like a previous episode as like one of the like white whistles to watch out for her on their way down uh is like petting like uh nanachi's head and thanking her for the the new cartridge for one of his experiments we don't really know what that means yet so uh, you
0: see his whistle though and it's kind of cool because it's like two bony fingers two bony oh, yeah. hands intertwined with each other that's his whistle
1: yeah that guy seems kind of evil <laughs> yeah that was
0: like okay <laughs> So, uh, Reg proceeds to catch the
1: items and that he or like collect the items he needs, like including like a demon fish, this giant hammer beaks eggs, uh, some like yellow shining grass, and then the final item is this shroom bear, which is a funny name for an animal. It's like a little like walking, like I don't know, it's like a big fat guinea pig that has like mushrooms growing out of it. Uh, so he he collects all these things and goes back to the hut and when he arrives, he opens the door, and Nanachi is stripping Rico naked because we needed more child nudity in the show. And apparently, Rico was soaked in like bloody piss, so Nanachi decided to clean her up.
0: And um, they keep bringing up piss after this. Yeah, they just keep God talking about it. piss.
1: Nanachi explains that the water mushrooms that were grow that grow on the shroom bear have a symbiotic relationship with the, the animal, where they release nutrients to the little bear whenever it looks like it needs them so nanachi plants uh several of these mushrooms on Rico's arm uh and they'll basically like heal her arm a bit um but they're, they're gonna hurt also, like hell coming out exactly they're gonna hurt like hell when they get ripped out but it's worth uh they, they heal like the skin and they heal like the wound as well so uh reg asks like what uh, Nanachi's going to use like the rest of the items he gathered for and she's like oh that's just for my dinner <laughs> <laughs> so he's like I could have I made it back not on time you asshole but she's like well you know if I'd collapsed and didn't have anything to eat uh, I wouldn't be able to see Riko either so uh, Nanachi tells Reg though that Riko will likely survive at this point and he, he grabs her saying and like tries to hug her and then he's like wow you really are fluffy <laughs> and then he goes outside to wash Riko's clothes and he notice he like notices like these flowers all around him. They're these like eternal fortune flowers, as well as gravestones. And it seems like he's visualizing an area of the abyss that's much lower, possibly the place where Liza was supposed to have been buried. Um, and in this flower bed in like a big mound, he sees the blade reaper sticking out of the ground. He's like, how did that get here? I thought we lost it somewhere else. Um, and he holds like he's holding this blue pendant necklace in his hands but then uh, Nanachi appears behind him he's like he asks like hey what are you doing and then she he snaps back to it and realizes he's not in the place that he was visualizing it was just a vision and she tells him like hey uh, you were just why were you staring so intently at Rico's pea-stained pants <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> which is apparently what he was doing when he was visualizing whatever the pendant. Uh, So Reg wonders, like, what the hell did I just see? And the voice that he heard uh, in his vision seemed to be coming from one of his own memories of someone mourning for Liza. And he's like, did I bury Liza? But Ozen said nobody was buried. I'm so confused. What happened? So inside, while Rico is asleep, uh, the hollow Midi crawls up on her body. And it starts making these agonized noises as it looks down at Rico sleeping, clearly remembering her from somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, and that's the end of the episode. Clearly so, remembering her? I would say clearly recognizing something in Rico. I would say either this hollow knows Liza. Or is uh, Liza. Or is Liza or has met Rico or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but interesting and that, that yeah design for that that freaking thing is so creepy <laughs> like it's got like a split open triangle shaped mouth and like the oh, yeah, eyes are all unsettling which
0: is I mean just good character design but <laughs> yeah
1: for sure it works yeah so
0: <laughs> I don't know it was <laughs> I think this is one of
1: the more interesting episodes in a while because we're learning about Nanachi who's a new character and she's very
0: capable so that was nice to see um okay and you you said uh you think the final episode is supposed to be an hour long
1: uh oh yeah i think it is so So episode
0: 12 is only 30 minutes though the regular 22 24 yeah so So is it gonna have 13 13. episodes
1: yeah i think it has 13 yeah so Hmm. what is that made in abyss yes 13 so 13 will be an hour long episode that's interesting
0: they still got a bit to go through yeah they do
1: I mean, they're never—they're definitely not going to finish this. Like, I could see them doing a second season. I could also see them finishing off with like a "Go read the manga" ending. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. Yeah. So, let's okay. move On, you
0: got anything else? Mm-mm. Not okay. really.
1: Just that uh, Rico pissed herself. Just thought you'd want—we want to know
0: that again <laughs> for like the third time in this show. Yeah. Uh, so 18th episode 11, the Thorn Cross Association. Uh, the scene opens with a guy preaching on the streets about how the women who have succumbed to the sleeping beauty syndrome have now been freed and allowed to take their true forms in their dreams. Uh, Katsumi is walking by and stops to listen. When he does, a man appears behind him and says, I'm surprised somebody's taking that guy seriously. When Katsumi turns around, the guy has already walked away Katsumi bursts through the doors in the dream world to a grouchy Haruto who wants to know why he is the only one who won't wake up. Katsumi says his discovery about Yurina will be the key to solving Haruto's mystery and also possibly the mystery of Lily. Haruto and Katsumi get in an argument and Katsumi leaves. Haruto tries to follow him, but he comes out into an asteroid and a giant serpent swallows him. And <laughs> I was totally, it felt made me think of Beetlejuice. <laughs> you funny. know when they go out the doors and it's like a sand wor- world, and the worms are going through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the, okay. This uh, this uh, scene followed by a quick scene and a quick scene. Back in the real world, Katsumi goes to a church that houses the Thorncross Association. Inside, he meets Aya. Yeah, they, they, they
1: like pronounce this wrong in the show too. like, at least for how they spell it out. It's weird. Also, but this AA guy, he looks exactly like like, well, he doesn't look exactly like him, but he looks a lot like Char Aznable from like Mobile Suit Gundam. me, is it like weird he helmet on and then like the weird, like big military uniform type thing. It's strange character design.
0: Yeah, but AA is a representative of the association. Back in the dream world, Haruto is visited by Lily. Lily knows why Haruto won't wake up, and it's because she's keeping him asleep. Back to the real world. The association believes those with the syndrome have been blessed by Eve in the dream world. Back to the dream world. Lily (laughs) explains she is keeping Haruto there because he might be the only one who can stop Eve from waking up. If Eve wakes up, everyone will die. Simple as that. Yeah. Back to the real world. Aya explains... What they worship is the goddess Eve who sleeps in the center of the dream world. He also says the world they know is the world that Eve is dreaming about. He continues to explain that after getting kicked out of Eden for eating an apple from a tree, Eve was distraught enough to close off her heart and fall into a deep sleep. The dreams in her sleep brought this world to being. What they are now is a temporary form in the dream world is where reality lies. Awakening to their dream selves is the salvation the association seeks. They believe the witches are the ones most blessed. The current world is the world of suffering, and the witches created worlds for themselves, and in that way, it is true Eden. Katsumi recalls some of the encounters with the witches' worlds and calls bullshit on it, <laughs> being true Eden and the worlds they created. Mm. Aya goes on to on to so that the Sleeping Beauties that have awoken had something happen to them by an evil one, and the show cuts to a screenshot of Haruto. Uh, we go back to Haruto and Lily who is Explaining that all the witches he has woken Up so far were linchpins that opened Up the path to Eve's door Haruto then recalls all the witches he has Saved Lily says since the ten Witches that were lynchpins have been removed Eve's door has opened and Lily wants Haruto To go with her there and kill Eve Harto asks why don't you Just kill her and she says she can't And that you saw it the world will end Harto points out that Doesn't answer my question <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back to the real world again I uh, wants Katsumi to stop the evil one in the real world, in the dream world from waking up the witches uh, cue a montage of Haruto waking up each of the ten witches, which I usually hate flashbacks, but I kind of like this one Yeah, I, I needed to, to remember all these people
1: yeah it's been a long season (laughs) yeah
0: after the montage Aya says Eve is angered by the evil one's actions of waking up the witches she's trying to wake up because of her anger they wish Eve would wake from her love not anger if she wakes up out of love she might forgive this world and save it and by saving it their current reality will change to the world of Sleeping Beauty Katsumi leaves and passes the mystery man from earlier who says don't believe them the guy he hates uh, the guy says he hates them and Katsumi should stay away and you you think that guy's Haruto or something? Yeah, that guy's eyes look to me so
1: similar to Haruto's eyes that I was like this guy is either related to Haruto somehow or or is well, Haruto but I don't know because he's he's
0: asleep in the dream world. So, yeah, I don't know what so that's funny about. thing. When I wrote that first scene when he first ran into him, I wrote him down as evil Haruto.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he seems he's like got evil Haruto. Thing. That's a good but way to describe him. I've seen like. the
0: next episode. It's not Haruto. Yeah. Interesting. Next episode's awesome. And I'm going to tell you right now, just open my anime list and open the characters page.
1: Everybody's in it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah. So Katsumi calls one of the witches because he has a question for her about Harto. He actually wants to ask all the witches. She speaks for all the other witches. Also saying they have a lot to say. Apparently all the witches have been uh, keeping in touch. We get a final scene of Haruto standing in front of a door with Lucy. He opens the door, and we leave with a shot of a red-haired beauty standing before Mike, and she giggles.
1: And she must be Eve, I guess. Yeah. Nope. Oh well, she appears to be Eve at the end. And of this everything episode. I've, I've said about the
0: next episode is not a spoiler. They're just okay. They're, they're right there, front center.
1: So on the one hand, I like I like that this episode brought together like all of the prior episodes into into like some. Somewhat cohesive narrative where it like all makes sense why their world is the way it is. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, like I know you said you liked that flashback, but like there was a large part of this episode that reused a lot of old animation from the prior episodes as they were doing like the recaps. And I was just like, yeah, it's a lot. I, I didn't. Well, like I really that forgave
0: so it for that too because yeah, the animation's so different in every episode, and it was kind of cool revisiting it.
1: It was really cool in that sense to just see like, man, look at all the cool animation styles they did over the this- of the course of the series like right that that was kind of cool i agree i agree with that actually um i I also agreed with like for the greater meta narrative like i just agreed with katsumi who says in this episode at one point i don't really get it but it seems pretty scary (laughs) (laughs) i was like yeah Yeah. that pretty much sums up the show uh and also the ed for this episode was freaking hilarious too uh it was just like some like chanting like Japanese and just like against like a Eurobeat or something it was really funny <laughs> I just really enjoyed that I really enjoy a lot of the music in this show honestly it's really good yep so uh, but yeah yeah it's still like this show is probably like the most ambitious show made this entire season and it may not have hit every episode but like it's always interesting and it's always thought provoking and that's more than I can say for most of the other shows that have been airing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Another one I think that's kind of flown under the radar also that's turning out to be really good. Yeah. So I honestly didn't have any, ex- I didn't know what to expect
1: from it when I started this. Yeah. I had no idea. And we just like watched the first couple episodes and we we're like, hey, you know what? This is pretty interesting. Let's add it to our watch list. And it was definitely like one of the best decisions we made at uh, early yep. on. So, yeah. Agreed. Speaking of not as good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put notes for this one. Yeah, but, there's meh. nothing to bro- take notes meh. on. There really's not. <laughs> Saturday, Action Heroine Sheer Fruits. Uh, episode 10, so long, Hopeless Warriors. So yeah, the show's starting to get a little bit samey at this point. Um, and also do some more of the same fan service that I was originally defending, but at this point it's like, no, nah, I'm not defending it anymore. So, the episode begins with the Cheerfruits who have finally placed at number 10 in their local, like, idol rating show for their region, I think. And, um... Midori Kawa who's like the green haired one she jumps at this opportunity to like to sell a bunch of merch so uh, she offers like a deal and all of their like remaining goods as, and like there's like a bunch of like otaku that are like buying the stuff from her she's like as long as you buy this special collaboration sh- shrine charm like you get 30% off everything else yeah, yeah. uh, Misaki kind of scolds her a little bit for just like going ahead with the sale without permission for everybody else but she's honestly in charge of the merch so why would she not be able to do this but I guess Misaki just didn't want her going over her head but it was a good it was a it was the right thing to do they sold a lot of stuff um, after this we transition to another completely all unnecessary but quick scene of Midorikawa in the bath who is wondering like what new merchandise items she should uh, buy to sell for the next round of merchandise Uh, there's just no reason that she had to be in the bath and they like show her naked and it's like there's no reason there's just no reason for this and then they immediately oh sorry completely random shot you're right yeah they immediately transition to the dressing room where like the girls are in like their bras again but that was also pretty quick but again I'm like not defending it anymore because they've done this same scene several times now so there's obviously a reason that they're doing it Uh, Masaki announces that Mako Kamisu uh, from the group Gingers is coming to visit them and basically, everybody freaks out at this news because uh, she's like the number one idol. Like she's like the Kami Kamidayo idol. Um, uh, the girls wonder if she's going to complain to them about like the plagiarism issue that came up earlier in the <laughs> season. Uh, but Masaki puts their fears to rest because the actual reason she's coming is that now that the Cheerfruits have made the top 10, they are going to be interviewed by the number one, who is Mako. So the girls all greet Mako when she arrives and Ahn and Mako kind of both observe about each other that they're totally different from their onstage personas. Like Mako has like a like a lower stage voice and her normal voice is much higher and Ann is just like a nervous wreck around her hero right now <laughs> which is way different from how she is on stage. And like Mako tells him like, hey, don't worry about that legal complaint stuff because with so many divisions it's like bound to happen and like... She whispers to them, like, by the way, when I started, I copied Ultra Conductive Linear Man. And people got really <laughs> mad at me, too. Uh, so Mikan and on An are, like, really won over by all this. And they all take a group picture, except on is, like, passed out on the ground in the foreground <laughs> of the picture, which is funny.
0: Yeah, it was uh, funny.
1: As Mako tours their stage, like, it makes her think about all the improvements she wants to make to her new show, which is called, like, Ultra Celestial Dio Rx. Uh, and she praises the Hino Nectar show, like saying that like the explosions and the crane work were all really appealing, and that Muramura's dedication to being an ultra serious villain was really impressive. Which like Roko gets like a blush on her face when she hears this because she's standing next to Muramura and she realizes like no, that's just who Muramura is. She's not really acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the girls watch in amazement as like Mako like starts to recite a bunch of the lines from their latest show because she, she watched it and she loved it. And she's, like, saying how great each of the characters is. Uh, But she accidentally changes one of the lines, switching I'll fight to, like, everyone fight together or something like that. And she says, like, oh, she did that because, like, she always thinks to include the audience uh, because they're all fighting together with the audience against the villains in these shows. And that gives Mikan something to think about for her writing. Um, So they all see Mako off. And An tries to ask for her autograph, but Mako says, like, I don't think I should give you one because we're rivals and we're competing for the top idol group. So that's her reasoning. Uh, She's nice about it, though. It's not like a mean thing. Um, So but after she leaves, the girls are all kind of discouraged because they just met the number one idol and they just saw her ability and they're all like, we'll never be as good as her. So they're all pretty depressed, actually uh and so when they go to hold their next performance they're all still like really thrown off like mikan and on's head are still heads are still in the clouds and they mess up the performance they say the wrong lines they forget to react to like like attacks on stage and like they end up destroying like the lemon tree is part of their set dressing and they like they get a really poor reaction from the audience like
0: yeah even uh whoever narrates she even like Totally botched one of her lines. Oh, yeah.
1: Aoyama. Yeah, she she messed up a line, too. And she's perfectly, she's normally, like, perfect. She's, like, the, the one who's in charge all the time. So Muramura, of all people, scolds them, like, afterwards, reminding them that their number one concern isn't Mako, but, like, engaging the audience who they're actually performing for. So Aoyama tells Muramura that, like, that's the first time you've ever said something good, (laughs) which I thought was really funny. And so the girls seem resigned to the fact that they'll never be able to beat Mako still though. Like, and I thought things got a bit overly dramatic here where the girls like all go home depressed and wondering if they'll even continue the group. Like they're that discouraged. But, uh, Roko and Hatsuri, like they go to like visit Misaki, but they don't actually end up like talking to her. They just both go to like outside her house because they're both really worried about her and have a bad feeling. And Misaki apparently is thinking to herself of memories she has of screwing things up when she gets too involved. I thought, But I thought she had gotten past that point already because she, like when there was an emergency during the fireworks performance, she got on stage and got involved and everything went well. So it kind of felt like a repeat of her own issues for her to still lack self-confidence, but maybe it's not that easy to get over it. Uh, uh they watch the next Idol TV special and they've dropped down to number 25 from number 10 because of their bad performance and uh, the next day though Midorikawa is carrying this like huge sack on her shoulders and she passes by a few kids in town who are fans of cheer fruits and they're excited. Like, hey, they're like, hey, you're you're in 25th place. I'm so excited. And she's like, don't be excited about that. But then they kind of get like a little angry at her. Like one of the boys like slaps her on the butt. Like he's a little boy so he can get away with it. And he's just like, just cheer up, green or whatever. And like, it's fine. (laughs) And so they run off. And then so she realizes that like the, you know, people are still cheering for them. And so the girls are gathering in the club room and everyone is depressed. Uh... Midorikawa is the last one to arrive, and she interrupts Masaki, who was about to give a speech, and she tells him, like, hey, it doesn't matter what place we're in, a heroine who gives up halfway is useless. And she tells them, like, I want to show you something. And she takes them all to the shopping district of Hanano and shows them that, like, all the businesses, like, are there are supporting the cheer fruits. They all have, like, cheer fruits billboards and signage and stuff. And, like, a bunch of the adults, like, talk to them and tell them, like, how much they're supporting them and to cheer up because it's all going to get better. And so this, like, sort of re-energizes the girls and, like, refocuses them on what their real job is. And so... Midorikawa finally shows them what she's been had in this huge sack and it's their new costumes they have like new like beige looking costumes that are kind of cute and Midorikawa has like this really cheesy line where they all hold hands in a circle uh and (laughs) like this like a big lemon like appears in front of them on the ground they're like Cheer fruits makes you think of lemon, and we're all one lemon. And I am just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it
0: was just like a really cheesy line.
1: It was weird. <laughs> it was really weird. Uh, it turns out that the other reason Midori Kawa was trying so hard to motivate them all was because she already bought a lot of merchandise that had the new costume on it. So she's like, "I can't let this go to waste. I need to convince them to keep going with the group and wear the new costumes." How did so. she get this money? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe from selling the old merch the other day, I guess. But all's well that ends well. And they all decide to redouble their efforts going forward. And so, yeah. I don't know. It was it was like an average episode, I guess. There were some funny things in there. But, like, yeah. The, the show's getting a little bit samey. Like I said, Misaki going through the same problems she's been going through the whole time. And the girl's, like, still just being like, not sure of themselves even after that great like fireworks performance with which vaulted them up to number 10 but i guess i, I meeting their idol i guess that has a, an effect on people you know like yeah. seeing like what the yeah, true, true greatness is close up can be really hard to see
0: so yeah so uh, out of out of locks i'll say both years kind of suck <laughs> yeah Senthros
1: life and action heroin
0: yeah you're right
1: i, I did not hit I, I would say I did better with Action Heroin than I did with The Centaur's Life though but still that's not saying much because The Centaur's Life went so downhill and you should have yeah. watched Recreators that's what I'm saying
0: <laughs> no we would have had more to talk watch. about I'll
1: tell you that much I will say like there are so many things in Recreators that I loved like there's so many parts of that show that I loved, but then there's so many parts that are so bad. It's just so uneven. Like, I just love the whole ideas of like the creators being able to talk with their creations and like the creations, like hating their creators for the things that they made them do in their stories. And then like the creators, like having to explain, like, it's not all about you. It's like about like the reader. And I, I'm going to keep putting you in these situations, even though they're harmful to you, because I know you can handle it because I wrote you that way. And like, so I, I mean there's so many interesting ideas But they just got so caught up In like the fucking Exposition bullshit and And just Sota's character Having to be a thing It just was so depressing I don't know
0: That's all I have to say Yeah, Everybody, everybody just knows I hated it yeah, exactly. I think I The concept when I first read that Concept really excited about that Show mm-hmm. but Ugh I hate Sota so much. <laughs> He's such a bad character. Yeah. Hmm. And, Anything uh, else you
1: want to add? No, that's it. That's it.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to us on YouTube to get updates on new podcasts or videos. And follow us on Twitter at Nerdum and other for updates as well. See you, everybody. See you next week.